If you've ever listened to one of my episodes and wondered, I can really contribute to something of what was just talked about. Well, I'd love to hear from you. Send me what you have to say, and perhaps it will make it onto one of my episodes. Thanks so much, and have a great day. Okay, so so much happened this week that I don't even know where to start, but I do have to start somewhere. So let me begin. First, I'll begin with today. Today was full of so much that you had to have noticed that whether you follow cars or not, there was something called the Meacham Classic. Now, uh, someone asked me, what do you know about cars? And I was like, what? What do you mean, what do I know about cars? Anybody knows about cars. At least at a minimum, when you're driving a car, you understand the basics about cars. But to understand the primal understanding of how a car functions is one thing, but the secondary level understanding of the quality of how a car runs is another. And that I think was why I followed today's auction. Because it wasn't the first time that an auction like this had taken place this year. Earlier this year, there had been the Meacham auction in Kissimmee, Florida, which had brought in multi-millions of dollars as well. But the one today, which was broadcast today, but it had happened, I believe, a few weeks ago in Indianapolis. But the fact that it aired today was significant in that, although the highlights, of course, because they take breaks for commercial breaks, they have to pay the bills, of course. In what they were able to show, it totaled just over $14 million in sales from the auction of the cars that were on the in-sell. Our cars, whether they are he was referring to whether they are prototypes or whether they are the classic cars. And I think that that is significant in that there is something very unique to cars that have very few miles to them that are put somewhere and just kept. And the less driven they have been, the more valuable they have tended to be. But, and also I should note, the fewer owners they have had, the more valued they have tended to be as well. But in this instance, the remark he was making was that it is okay, in essence, now to be able to buy and sell them. And that is a significant change in the type of market for cars than there has been in the past because people have tended to hold on to them. 
And he was also noting the fact that the newer cars, the prototypes, the hybrids, the cars that are designer cars, so to speak, are also selling. And they're selling because they're unique. They are one of a kind. They may never be made again. And it's such a unique market. But what people are realizing is so are some of the classic cars that are being held onto for decades and generations that are now looked at as these truly unique cars, such as cars from 1911 or 1955, so on and so forth. And so what may have taken generations to develop a sense of mystique about them, now people are realizing is actually something that can develop a, a sense of quality. And you don't have to have quantity to be able to have quality. Though you can have quality in a well-made car. And so it is quite interesting. You can drive a car that is quality made, but you also can have a car that is quality made as well and hold on to that. And while people can be collectors of various different things, people can collect toys, they can collect shoes, they can collect different things. I can go on and on, but I won't in the interest of time. But that is one of the things I wanted to point out that was quite unique. And the person that mentioned that to me, they were quite flabbergasted by my reaction to one of the cars that went point three that went for $3.5 million and was a prototype car. And she was just surprised at my reaction. And I was like, whoa. Now, it's not something that necessarily I would be able to bid on, but just the fact that it was fascinating to me is it... It is so exciting to be able to see that there is a fascination. There is such a, a market for that. And it's thrilling. It's good to be able to have uh, people who enjoy um, a sense of a positive energy about something very positive. And so that was really important. That was point number one, because that, in essence, is a sport. That was number one. Number two is the return of baseball this week, which if you were not paying attention to anything in the world, then you missed the fact that baseball was back. Now, baseball returned, actually, in Korea a few months ago, and it was attempted to return, or it did attempt to return without fans in the stands. And it was, in essence, the first round of uh, an effort as to how that would work. Because then when soccer tried the same thing in Europe, they too returned with players in the field and no fans in the stands. And then when baseball tried the same thing, again, it's, it's going to take some time, but they, uh, they pipe in the sounds of how fans would 
react to certain plays and such. And you know, I, I think it's important to know that we're going to, it's going to take some time, but it certainly is important that sports return. And the other important return to normalcy, if you will, was that also the NBA returned this week in a similar fashion. It too began play and also no fans in the stands. And though they had a similar concept, they have their players in what they're referring to as the bubble where they are all in one specific area and practicing in in a specific environment, but then also staying in a specific environment, which is different actually than what the uh, soccer the soccer league is doing. And well, it's actually the European league. It's uh, overseas in Europe, and. Though they are getting tested regularly, it's it's quite interesting to see that each particular sports specialty is taking COVID quite seriously, but actually tackling it a little bit differently. And you could see some similarities to how each of the specialties have taken on this responsibility in a very unique manner, but in a very similar manner, because they're trying to move forward in the best way possible with the athletes in mind, with social efforts in mind, and with the fans in mind, as well as understanding the implications of sponsorship and of the economy, of how to move forward together with communities and sponsorship playing a very big role of course as well as social responsibility so as well as they're not the only ones that have moved forward the ones that I've mentioned sports leagues in other areas have also begun to announce how they too are moving forward I mentioned that a soccer moved forward, baseball moved forward, but also in terms of youth sports, they have moved forward. But so has the WNBA announced, of course, that they began to move forward. They, of course, began to move forward. They tipped off on the 25th. And the NBA, of course, announced that their junior league efforts have also begun very seriously looking at youth skills competitions and some very critical apps that they have launched online as to how to keep youth involved. And so they're looking at some several, some serious efforts on several different fronts to be able to engage community members, not just in the adult competition levels, but also in the junior leagues. And one other key historical component, although the Olympics would have begun this week, 
there still was a bit of a ceremony. And so, dear Japan, it does not go, it does not fall on deaf ears that there was one athlete in Japan speaking to a stadium where there were no fans present. That athlete was not alone. The world was there with you. And I feel as if though, because there was no fans, no global presence, so you may think, uh, please do not feel as if though the world was not with you and well aware that the world would have been there had COVID not been present in a pandemic fashion the way it so has been and is, continues to be. But this will quell, though not today and perhaps not tomorrow, but soon it will. And yes, it has been rescheduled, the Olympics has. And so, dear Japan, we will be with you as a world, present with many athletes, ready to compete at the various levels necessary, um, as has always been possible in Olympics previous. And we thank you for recognizing the need to postpone these Olympics, but do so recognize that there will be another day for competition, though last week was not the week to begin such competition. But the effort is being made by many athletes to continue to be ever ready to be there on the day that you have that opening ceremony. And they will. They will be from the many countries necessary to compete at a global level. And so, as a world, we thank you for considering the needs of the world. Because the Olympics are a global competition after all. And for those few days, couple of weeks, a month or so that the competition does take place, it's camaraderie, it's an important sportsmanship that takes place and it is oh so necessary and oh so necessary. The world will return to that moment where anthems resound under the Olympic flag. And we will once again, as a world, see just how beautiful each participating country is that brings its athletes together for those days of competition, so necessary, so necessary. And so that was in terms of sports. Now, 
I know what you're thinking. Why am I talking about sports? Because I often tell you on this particular Digital Electronic World Report that I talk about a little bit of everything. And I do. The other thing I wanted to talk about, I will bring up in the next segment. But that will be after this little break when we return. And welcome back. In this next segment, I wanted to talk about other things that happened this week. In previous episodes, I have discussed the importance of getting back to enjoying worshiping in faith. And how because of the COVID pandemic, many people have not been able to worship in congregation. We've had to worship separately. And what that has meant. Now, some people have gathered and that has unfortunately had some serious consequences because people have gotten ill as a result. Because in gatherings, before people were notified of the importance of social distancing, people were congregating and not adhering to the spatial requirements and people that were vulnerable and had comorbidities were being exposed to the illness and as such were becoming sick and this of course makes it very difficult given that nobody wants to be the person that then feels responsible for making somebody else ill. So then, many places as a result of requirements from county public health offices or cities were forced to close and so were churches. Although some churches decided to continue to stay open, many churches in other locations closed. And some people have not been able to gather to worship. Although some parishes, congregations have allowed online worshiping, there has been a bit of a need for adjustment to be able to do this online. Not everyone has had the resources necessary to be able to worship online. And so in the months that have transpired since the pandemic began, the churches that have adjusted have allowed things such as live streaming or online or even drive through services or even in some instances 
priests or pastors have gone through neighborhoods providing sermons themselves. There have, of course, been any number of unique responses to what this unique circumstance has required. Confessions in driveways of churches has been one of the unique responses into this situation. But why do I discuss this at this particular moment when many people feel, yeah, 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 we've heard this already. Why talk about this now? It's even gone to court already. Well, this is why. Not everyone has calibrated to the point of being in the same circumstance. <laughs> Given the circumstances that the country is in at the moment. Because estates are in different places, in different moments, in different circumstances. Some states have opened and then had to close up again. And as a result, in some kind of slinky format, or even accordion format, people have had to be so flexible, as has the business community, that it really has had a bit of a yo-yo effect on the mind. And... It's quite difficult on the soul as well. I'll tell you why. This is why I bring it up. Although some denominations have provided their sermons on television for free, some have not. And so people have sought the sermons out, perhaps through live streaming, or even through online internet options. Others have still not found theirs. And some have Just found new religions. As for me, you're probably wondering, what's my situation? Well, I was notified that my parish was finally open and I could apply for a reservation. Last week, I did apply for a reservation and I was told that my reservation was accepted. It felt odd, I have to say, <clears throat> to have to ask for permission to attend Mass. And it also felt odd to have my temperature taken 
at, well, in the vestibule. When it wasn't, I mean, I've had my temperature taken on my way into a doctor's office. I haven't had my temperature taken at a store yet, although one of my siblings has. She says that every time she goes grocery shopping in the state where she lives, they check her temperature. And that hasn't happened yet to me. But when I have had, when I have gone grocery shopping, they have not checked my temperature. But they did at, on the day that I went to mass. And because I had walked a mile to get there, my temperature was one degree higher than what they were saying it needed to be. But they were calling for it to be a different requirement than what the CDC was calling for. And so I was concerned about that. Excuse the vacuum in the background. Uh, My sister is cleaning up something that um, she broke earlier. She was moving her placemat and she broke one of her little glasses. So she's cleaning that up now. But um, there's always something in the background, isn't there? Well, la Anyway, excuse me for that. However, as I was saying, so much to my surprise, they were not going by the CDC standard. They had it just a, a couple of degrees below. Or it was less than a couple of degrees. It was point. Uh, four under the CDC guidelines. And I said, well, actually, that's not what the CDC guidelines are. And they said, well, that's what the bishops communicated. And and I didn't argue the point because I didn't think it was necessary to argue the point. However, I did offer to show them the CDC website. And then I thought, well, I don't think it's really necessary for me to be contrarian at this particular moment. And so I stopped the back and forth on that particular point, because after all, I had been walking quite a ways to get there. And my walk I had dedicated to John Lewis, because although I had not personally met John Lewis, I do hold him in esteem and I'll explain why in a moment but first I want to finish explaining my particular experience in this particular return to congregation with going to mass because it was a unique experience it was like It didn't have to be uncomfortable when it was. And after all, I wasn't brand new to this particular parish. And it suddenly felt like I was. And that's what I was trying to explain to my sister today. And 
as she noticed that I, when I offered to show her the CBC website, and I just kind of stopped at that, she said, no, you don't have to, but then she said, you can wait to the side here if it goes down, because I had told her I had been walking a mile to get there. And she said, you could wait to the side here. If it goes down, I'll check it again. So that was understanding of her. And then I did. And the part of me that's a little poindexter, which I understand is kind of difficult for me to... I I should not have needed to have said anything, but it just kind of did blurb out of me, was I commented on the antibacterial. I didn't have to, but it was something that is a natural occurrence. And so why do I share that? Sometimes, and I know this already, we make comments as people that we need to think through before we say them. And as it was coming out of my mouth, I realized I really didn't need to say that. I should have thought about it before I said it. But I was so tired in my walking and having gotten there my thoughts were not, well, first of all, they were not articulate, and second of all, they were not, um, how should I say, properly processed in the moment. And what did I say exactly? Well, I explained to her that that was more antibacterial than it needed to be, and that it was not the standard antibacterial. So what was the purpose of that comment? I didn't either provide a solution, nor did it go anywhere, other than I was saying it was too much, and that it was not um, the standard. I didn't tell her what the standard was. I didn't give her the solution. I didn't give her... What it was, I did tell her that the CDC had put out a guideline as to there was one particular type that if it had more of a percentage out there that it was actually could be considered toxic. So I did give her that as a possible solution. But I really thought afterward that was an, un- that was an unnecessary comment in retrospect. And I say that because Sometimes we can be so tired of something that we say unnecessary things. And just because it seems unnecessary to us, if we are tired about something, doesn't mean that it has to be said in such a way that it is cantankerous. It still can be presented in a way that it provides solutions to the person to whom we are saying it to. And or we also have to recognize that perhaps the person who is actually in front of us is not the person we need to provide the solutions to because that person is actually the practitioner 
of the situation. And there may be someone else we need to talk to who is actually the implementer of the situation. So, in the end, the antibacterial was standard practice to be able to enter the facility anyway. It was sticky and gooey, and it wasn't any that I had ever utilized before. And I think that's what surprised me. But it wasn't really necessary for me to have said anything. As for her taking my temperature the second time, it did lower to a standard temperature. And so I was absolutely grateful that she asked me to wait. Otherwise, I would have turned around and have walked home. And at that point, it would have been a moot point for me to have walked all the way over there. But the second point that I wanted to make before I talk about John Lewis is it was extremely difficult to have worshipped without the psalms, without the singing, without the responsorials. Although we did so in accordance with the guidelines and with the rules that were set forth by our particular public health department and our particular state. And it was difficult. I was explaining to my sister that it reminded me of when we used to go as youth to take prayer to the the nuns of the order of the St. Clairs, and how they absolutely allowed prayer, but they didn't allow song. And they were cloistered nuns. They are a cloistered order, I should say. And so they are closed off to the world. But it was most interesting because to have a mass without music and someone who was raised with music and had sung in a choir and that is delightful, that was quite interesting and quite challenging. And so it was difficult, but noticeably different. And so why do I bring that up? Because they said as part of the service that for the following week, we were to request our reservation on the internet. And I did so, but I did not receive a confirmation of my request. And so what happens, you see, is although last week I was able to attend, this week I was not. And the reason I point that out is it does not mean that because one week I was able to go, 
and this week I was not, that this week I will not be in the same faith. No, by no means. Am I disappointed? Certainly, but do I understand? Certainly. There's a certain amount of I don't understand how things get prioritized considering the fact that there couldn't have been more than 30 people in a parish that fits, in a church that fits, oh, 300. And I can't imagine that all of a sudden that was going to fill up. But if it did, well, wonderful. However, it's most interesting that all of a sudden, I was not able to go today. But those are the challenges of what this pandemic has done. It has kept not only people from being able to maintain regular life patterns, regular life coordinated responsibilities, but also maintaining the soul. And that includes how we put people we know to rest. As I mentioned, I will be talking a little bit about John Lewis. But that's someone that I didn't know personally. Just someone that I hold in esteem. I have an aunt that passed away that I have not gone to her funeral or a memorial or been able to see any of that side of the family. They say that there has been no gathering, that, that they have not even been able to gather. All I was able to do was send a condolence letter. When I finally got through to a cousin, now I don't know that she passed away from COVID. I'm definitely not saying that. But when she passed away and we got notified, at the time, I didn't have a working phone, so they didn't notify me. They notified a sibling. And when the sibling was notified, then we were told eventually there would be a memorial. Perhaps in the summer. Well, it was summer, and now it's summer and late summer and almost fall. And so in midsummer, I called a cousin, and at that point, I have I have a phone now. And I asked her. I said, "How are you doing?" And she said, "Holding it, holding up, okay." But she's not been able to travel from where she is to get to see the rest of her sleep. And so I was truly worried about her. And she still has other siblings that she has not seen. And so when we talk about some of the families that have lost family members, yes, some family members have been able to see each other, but others have not. 
and many have not been able to bury their loved ones. And so it is tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy in many different ways. Now that is for even some that have lost their loved ones from COVID. But what we have not even begun to discover are the people that have lost loved ones for many other reasons. Because they are being lost statistically in ways that will never be counted because the categorization of COVID and the way funds are being shifted to COVID research and COVID funding will only categorize things to COVID. And so we cannot forget that life continues for people in many other facets. And statistically, we cannot ignore what happens in the rest of the world because movement in the world continues in so many other ways. And cities and municipalities and townships continue, counties continue to function in the best possible way they can. But when I hear things such as that the Federal Reserve stopped minting coins, simple things that, well, one would think were simple, and that towns, if this is true, or if some people just made it up, who knows? But the towns, such as one little town in some small little town, and I can't even remember the name, some small town, began minting its own money made out of wood because they didn't have enough money in their town. But the, the thing is, they'll only allow their money to be exchanged in their own town. Those are the kind of things that are creating survivability because they don't want to be lost amidst the loss of resources. And so when money stops flowing from the federal government, some towns are becoming so creative that they are creating their own money. That is the kind of what one would think of as creativity. But as one lady put it, she isn't giving away the money that she has saved because she is afraid she'll end up without any. And so she saves it. So it's a most interesting thing to recognize that many, many decades ago, when people used to swap items in exchange for one thing for another, before currency was currency, and currency was currency. Such things as what now is considered wood can be money. The modernity of what that possibly could be considered as 
is not as retro as it sounds. If that makes sense. And in a moment, and welcome back. In this final segment for today, I wanted to talk for a moment about why I wept when I heard the news on the passing of Congressman John Lewis. Now, I didn't know him personally, but I knew him for his service to country and his dedication to social justice. What does that mean? Many people tend to use the term the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act was a big accomplishment, although to this day it has been changed substantially. At the time upon which it was being developed, I felt that it was something that was quite important to be worked on. And it was Congressman John Lewis who continued in the chambers of the house his advocacy for people of all walks of life seeking parity that people should be treated equally in matters of health care and i would hear him talk on his speeches when i would watch c-span when I would hear him in different talks that he would give. And those were the kind of moments that would motivate someone like myself, just an everyday person, to better understand that, yes, those were the kind of moments that made a difference to everyday people like me who could very much see that he cared so much about our country that he understood not just what it meant to one person to be cared for, but all people to be cared for. Because the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act was essentially developed to provide 
many levels of care that had not been there before. But more so then, there were other areas where he also continued on an, a level of advocacy that had not seen advocacy before, such as the Voting Rights Act, and such advocacy that he never let go. He continued on year after year. And it was quite apparent that he felt very strongly There was a particular moment when he, intuited the importance of staying in the line. It was on one election day, and I remember that. And he was so correct that people should not lose patience, no matter how long the line. Now, not all lines in voting precincts are long. But he was making the point that we mustn't give up that right to vote, that the struggle to have attained the right to vote was such a difficult struggle, it should never be let go. And it was an important point which one should be reminded of. And I remember that, and I think that's something that has always stayed with me. And so I think uh, people such as him who, who stay with a significant message year after year, are pivotal and essential. Now, obviously, he was more encompassing in what he did. What do I mean by that? He followed other subject matters as well. But those are a couple of examples that I wanted to give as to why I felt so strongly. Because his was a message that was heard quite loudly. And... 